This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie bat lovers, back for another Anatomy of Movie as we dissect Stephen King's It, the 2017 rendition of it, chapter one, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Damn right, we talk movies. Yup. And today, coming up on Halloween, we've got the clown. The creepiest clown. The creepiest clown you'll ever meet. But but first, let's introduce the creepiest men you'll ever meet. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll I'll take that one. I am very creepy. Out of the booth. (laughs) Uh, I believe you're out first of the cage. No, I've escaped. Your second. Oh yeah, that's true. I did uh, Baby Driver, Baby right? Driver. This is my uh-huh. second uh, Anatomy movie. movie. My name is Anthony Becerra. You can find me on Twitter at Tony B Dead, spelled T O N Y B D E D D E D, because I thought it was cool. You know, whatever. Deal with it. <laughs> and uh, Dimitri Panos, of course. Beep beep movie fans. Oh, how's it going? Beep beep. What's happening? Hey hey. Looking forward. Absolutely, and I'm Phil Svitek. Welcome. A um, couple of things right off the bat. Number one, we assume you've seen the movie, well, especially by the box office numbers. At this point, we assume everyone's yeah, seen this movie. Yeah, you have got to see the movie. Uh, so therefore, we're very spoiler-filled, so uh, please note that. Um, secondly, if you would like to follow along, there is, um, in the description box, there's a link to download our rundown. So feel free to check that out and follow along, because we might talk about some of those things. We might not get to some of those things, but nonetheless, it, it enhances the uh, listening or viewing experience, if you will. Yeah. Of course, of course. Um, but as we always do, let's start with overall impressions, and uh, why don't we start with you, Anthony? Ooh-wee. All right. Well, I got to say, I really enjoyed the film overall. It was a pleasant experience. It was a pleasant film. It was really well made. <laughs> It's a pleasant film. It was a pleasant film. I really liked when that child got his arm ripped off. <laughs> um, I gotta say, there, there, um, the structure was a little weird. And uh, listening to Jeff Snyder when I did the uh, Meet the Movie Press, he had a good point how it was kind of like vignettes of just scenes, scenes after scenes of like things that would happen. But this, like the, uh, this, the, I think the story had some trouble with it. That's that's he convinced me of that point. I was like, I can see what, where he was coming from. That. Okay. And I agree with him on that. And I was like, yeah, you know, because it just felt like it went from scene to scene to scene, but there wasn't really much of, like, why we were going to those scenes. It was just kind of like, oh, here's this kid, and here's how it haunts him. Oh, and here's this kid. Here's how it haunts, and then, oh, here we go. And again and again, and then, like, so down the line until they finally all kind of converge. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're impressionable yeah. like a child is what I got from that. <laughs> Dimitri. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I will say, it sounds like I enjoyed it a little bit more than you. And I don't think this is the scariest movie that I've ever seen or the scariest movie ever made. But I do think it succeeds, actually, in its storytelling. I thought that it was a very well-executed, pared-down adaptation of Stephen King's opus novel. To me, what they made was Stand By Me versus Killer Clowns. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. I kept on thinking about 
um, believe it or not, um, I kept on thinking about the novel of Jaws mm-hmm. and how the screenwriters they pared that down because there were there were lots of subplots in Jaws that never made it into the movie. Smartly so, and what you get is a very straightforward movie. And I was thinking about that while watching it. Is that there's a lot of subplots, even even with its crisscross pattern. Uh, and again, I read the novel uh, when I was when I was in, a teenager uh, when it had come out, and I reread the novel earlier this year. It really is. It's a crisscross. It goes back and forth a lot from kids' story, adult story, kids' point of view, adults' point of view, and. The the miniseries actually does the same mm-hmm. thing. Actually, I would argue that the miniseries is probably a closer adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they did here, I thought, was wise and smart. Um, you have very good-natured, coming-of-age kids fighting demons, both in their home and in the sewers. And it delivers characters for, for me that, that you not only cared for, but you rooted for. I've said this again, uh, I've said this many times when we talk horror movies, to me it's very important that in a horror movie you have characters that you care for. That leads to more suspense. Are they going to make it to the end? Are they not? So, and it's even better when you can double down and you have characters that you can root for in a movie. Um, Great example earlier this year when you looked at the movie Get Out. Okay, the main character as the movie got on, you were you not only cared, but you wanted to root for him to escape the indecencies being done so that when he finally gets out, you're cheering for him. You want somebody to cheer for. And I felt that in this movie, the kids were someone to cheer for. Like they 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 had that character in a sense, as the kids in Stand By Me did, I felt. Um, So. I really enjoyed that. I thought the writing was pretty smart and clever, and I liked how they also decided to cut this novel in half. We've talked about this. We'll talk about it more. But in most cases, it's a money-grabbing scheme from the studio. Yeah, I was about to say. Right? Cash cow. It's a cash, you know, it's a cash grab, not a cash cow. It's a, it's a greed thing. Okay. But in this case, I, always, I found it to be logical. You could make a three-and-a-half-hour movie of the novel... And then shapeshift time. I think it's it's more succinct this way. I liked it. And then I also enjoyed the kids in this movie too. I thought the performances were pretty solid. I liked that for the most part they were very fresh faced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I particularly liked the girl uh, who played Beverly. I thought she, to me, was the anchor of all of them. Not just because she was the only girl, but this Sophia Lillis, uh, I thought that, you know, number one, you get why the neighborhood boys would crush on her. Um, an, An attractive girl that you know is going to blossom into an attractive woman. And she actually, she played her part with a maturity and an innocence at the same time, I felt. And she really was the lynchman. She didn't necessarily play the damsel in distress, she was a strong, well-written character, and I really enjoyed watching her. So, ultimately, I think when they go to Chapter 2, I think choosing the adults, I think they're going to have big shoes to fill, um, you know, from these kids. And ultimately, I think it is a very accessible, safe horror movie that delivers 
to both the fans of the genre and to those who normally just float by it. Beep, beep. Um, so I, I land somewhere in the middle, and I'll keep it short because I want to get yeah. to the meat of the episode. But um, overall, uh, because they split it up into two, I didn't mind it. I fell in love with the characters. However, um, there's a lot of incomplete stuff where um, this didn't feel quite as whole by the end. There was a lot of questions to be had, which I know they're going to answer in, in the sec- second part. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt a little bit robbed in watching it um, towards the end. Um, I was I was good with it up until the ending, pretty much. Um and apart from that, you know, some of the criticism I've heard that, um, you know, I, I want to get to kind of today is just what was the logic of it, you know, um, which is, again, it's one of those things that I think will be explained in Chapter 2, but it didn't um, fully get resolved. Like, wh- why is it? Yes, it's causing fear, um, but at other times, like, it wants to kill him. So what's the distinction of when does it want to cause fear? When does it want to kill? Yeah, and I'm wondering, I have the same things because... The kid's part of the story. You learn like the kid's part of the story doesn't give you much of the, the history, of it, mm-hmm. and like why it's there. But I also have the same feeling that they're gonna pare that story down too. Other than they only gave up in the movie. In any case, they gave just a small tidbit of it has been there for hundreds of years, right. and. There's no rhyme or reason why it picked Derry. Um, and I know as adults, but they've already made some changes that I'm curious to see what they're going to do because they're setting up Ben Hanscom, who has a history of Derry, where I know in the books it was Mike, Mike yeah. um, who, who stayed behind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how much of the history that we get to learn of Derry um, and and how it becomes stronger and how it feeds off fear and how um, just basically can only be seen by kids. I mean, Stephen King, part of the reason why he chose kids, is they were young. There were kids who still believed in things like Santa Claus, right? So they're easily susceptible to believing in the fear that it could portray. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to stand up to them. They would just give in to the fear. You're right. It's not a complete movie, but knowing that there is going to be a chapter two, especially after the grosses, but I think the plan was to do two movies. Um, But I I don't think they made this movie like so poorly that and ill-conceived that there's no way there's going to be a chapter two. Like, even if this movie opened up at 60, I think they were still going to do a chapter two. So it'll be interesting to see where they go because they've already made changes to at least two of the characters um, that were in the book and even in the miniseries. So I'm curious. I, I, I too, am curious. But I think we'll get more of that history. But I understand. You fellow is incomplete, incomplete, so to speak. Is that well, a good I mean, way to put it? It literally is incomplete. Like, by right. definition, it is incomplete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but let's, uh, let's kind of take it back real fast before we fully dive into story and sort of talk about uh, what kind of we, – we talk a lot about this uh, production development times and so forth. And generally, when it comes to um, big properties, such as this one, um, it goes into production hell, if you will. Mm. And it, all, dating all the way back to 2009, it, it, you know, people were adapting and so forth. 
Um, and it went through many iterations of who's going to direct it and so forth. And um, ultimately, um, he, he uh, Andy became the, th- the third director mm-hmm. overall. I mean, there were others considered, I'm sure, but in terms of naming an actual director to the project, he was the third director. Um, and a lot of different iterations of it, you know. At some point, it was like, okay, it was supposed to be one movie and, and so forth. But um, Warner Brothers and, and went to their New Line division. Um, you know, they felt, okay, let's split it up and so forth. Um, and uh, Will Poulter actually was going to play uh, Pennywise back all the way back in 2015, mm. which I could actually kind of see that. Um, sure. He's, uh, he's recently rising in fame. Uh, yeah. Detroit recently he was in. And before that, Revenant and a couple other ones, but sure. those are the most notable ones that I can think of. Uh, where the Millers? Uh, eh, notable. Very. Notable. I like I mean, Where the Millers. I think but. he's like the best part. He's hysterical. That's why to see him in Will Where the Millers, and then the character he's in Detroit. Yeah. I mean, oh my, night and day. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of glad he didn't take it. Um, he, he's as especially after seeing him in Detroit. Uh, Go with something lighter next time, buddy. <laughs> you know, I like the guy who played him. Uh, you know, I think they, I think they went, I think they picked a great Pennywise. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of the second director, the the reason he sort of left the project was um, they were restricting it to a thirty million dollar budget, which for a horror movie is actually quite decent, to be honest. Talk to uh, Blumhouse. Yeah, yeah thirty <laughs> yeah. million is like twice as much as they Usually used go to make for their it. horror yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, no ill will, but I uh, just didn't agree. And uh, so then Andy steps in, and he's directing the movie. Um, anyone want to sort of add to that? I know I condensed it overall. Well, you know, I think it was very wise of them to go to the fine folks at New Line. They have, uh, at Warner Brothers, uh, they have a fine grasp of horror. We always talk about when you give a movie to the wrong hands, and it ends up in the wrong hands, and they don't know how to do it. Uh, another Stephen King adaptation, The Dark Tower, uh, mm. of note. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it was very, very. I thought it was a really good idea to do that. Um, when you hire uh, Andy Machete to come on board, uh, that is, he had a modicum of success with an with a horror movie, Mama, which was. Uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro. Oh, okay, you know, uh, to me, he's a no great. He's he's like no great shakes as a director. He's very simplistic, which is fine. But he's no James Wan uh, type, and and the people, the offspring of James Wan, like the guy who did Annabelle Creation. There's David, not, yeah, there's Sandberg. Not, yeah, there's not like great flair. In fact, I felt the first part of this movie sort of kind of looked TV movie ish. Um, but the pace picks up. He's fine. He did a really good job. Um, so it's it's just interesting, like, how many iterations of directors. We're seeing this a lot now in Hollywood, where directors are either being let go, <laughs> fired outright, uh, or they're just opting out of projects. And to, I don't know, I, I think horror usually works best on a lower budget. I mean, in my in my opinion, when you look at the Wes Cravens, the John Carpenters of the world, like part of the, Steven Spielberg with Jaws, as you mentioned earlier, part of the thing is is that they have a lower budget. They have to be more creative mm-hmm. with their cameras and stuff. So, And um, Machete, I think, did a fine job. He was good at directing the kids in Pennywise. I think that, that, was, that was his greatest strength, but in terms of 
you know, when, when you talk about um, that it wasn't as scary as it could be, I felt um, it, there were some missed opportunities. I'm not uh, talking about jump scares or things like that. I, I'm good without them for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there was certain elements that could have been a little bit scarier. Um, like, I, I he was good with the camera movements and everything of that nature, but... I don't I, I don't know horror well enough uh, from a cinematic standpoint, meaning like the camera, to be able to give an actual reason of what could have been added. But uh, I just I just felt it was slightly off in that respect. Yeah, I just felt there wasn't tension built up a lot. There was one scene that I thought was brilliant because I didn't see it coming. And this is the scene where Bev, it's towards the end, and Bev was in her, her, her old bathroom mm-hmm. or whatever after, and she turned around and Pennywise was there. Mm-hmm. I, I did, now, that was a good, that was good flair because, A, I don't, that wasn't in the book, so I didn't see it coming in that place. And I just didn't see it coming, period. Mm-hmm. And that, that was creepy. That, that, I was like, that was the one jump that I had. You can be simplistic. And like I said, it was fine. He probably came at a good price tag too. Let's I mean, I don't mean to be cynical about it, but that's what they're thinking about when they're hiring people. Mama, it was a low budget movie that did good money. I mean, whether you like the movie or not. So I get it. He's a big Stephen King fan too. So this was one of his, let's call it a dream project to be offered this. Um so and I believe going forward he's He's not signed already. He's going to be He's signed. Directing yeah. the next He's one, going yeah. to direct the next one, which which makes perfect uh, logical linear sense yeah. uh, in that point. So, did you find the movie like what were your what were your thoughts on the scares? Um, I think the scares were decent. They weren't. Uh, I didn't have any like oh my god like me losing my mind kind of uh, moments. Um, I think they were really good. Um, I really liked the uh, the picture one. The rotating pictures, yeah, that and was then he pops rush, out right? like huge. I was, I thought that was great, um, but that I think a, a lot of people didn't see that one coming. Where Beverly gets like, like you know, she turns yeah. around like the person next to me. I believe it was a Khalil. I saw him like jump like five feet in the air. I was like, <laughs> whoa! Like he he hopped. I was like, okay, that kind of got me too. I gotta say, um, it wasn't. Like, I don't think it was like completely scary. Where it was like, where it was like super terrifying, but. The woman did. There was a lot of creepy parts. A lot I, of. I, I think for me the um, the scare factor and the creepiness factor was stuff that I hadn't seen in the trailers. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of it, you know, the uh, the garage scene with the projector. I'd kind of seen that. Well, yeah. I kind of see it, but they didn't play the whole thing exactly. Out. And I love Which, that they to did me, that. They had it's that scene. You know, again, a bit derivative from the book and even the miniseries. But mm-hmm. that scene, outside of what we know in the trailer. It had a payoff that they thankfully... If they gave that payoff in the trailer, it would have ruined it for me because I would have... I know that I, like him coming out of the screen like that, I was thinking, why didn't they make this in 3D? Because <laughs> that would have looked so <laughs> awesome. Yeah. He came out... And I thought that the orchestration of that scene was done really well. We knew it was coming because it was in the trailer. Uh, I'm bummed that you didn't think... Uh, that, it, that it didn't pay off well for you. I, 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 there's a... The problem is, it's like with comedy, um, when you put things into the trailer, now you're just expecting them. And so, like, regardless of what I know what the payoff is, I know something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why the woman in the painting 
was a surprise as well because we didn't see that as part of the trailer. That terrified right. me. That was yeah. actually very, very creepy. Like and that, that was done well as yeah. yeah. That face, I, I'm yeah. not gonna forget that face. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. It's so I love seeing like face that are disfigured like that. You know, in I've been films. in temples just... before. I, you know, and. I've never seen a picture so grotesque. Yeah, it's like that one. Uh, <laughs> the scream. Yeah, but it was, it was a distorted was version of. Yeah, I would say that was a, for me personally. That was like terrifying. I was like, oh god, like uh, if I were to see that in my own personal life, because it felt so like real. Because it felt like it could be like a real kind of entity, like this woman with a disfigured face, who's, right? You know, gone down some weird path in her life and will haunt you. Like I would, I, I would have shat myself if I had seen that in real life. Like that's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, I think you did right now. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's start let's start with the kids and let's really you know build from there because they truly are um, the main the, the main core. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, and what what I appreciate about them. So we'll, we'll talk about the the idea of the eighties, um, but just in general, I'll talk about it from setting in the past because you know there's an ingenuity there that uh, you know I don't know I, I don't hang out with kids. Uh, nowadays, so I, I don't know, but like, I, I just appreciate that they had to figure things out on their own, um, right. and the fact that they built the water canals and they had the projector, all these things. Um, there's an inquisitive nature there that I appreciated, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I know you can speak to as to why the, the '80s versus the '50s. Okay. Yeah, it was um, a couple of reasons. Number one, um, they, there was a conscious decision because. Uh, one of the things, uh, it's going to be a spoiler if you haven't read the book, but but it pops his ugly face every 27 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are going to release the movie now in, uh, what are we, 2017. So when the next iteration comes out, it, iteration comes it's out, it'll be about 27 years when they're adults, because it's about the same thing in the books. Now, Stephen King grew up uh, in the 50s. It, the 50s also lends, um, you know, uh, an aura of innocence, uh, which makes it scarier as well. But the writers knew the 80s. And what I really appreciated about it, so when you, so now it's the 80s, so that when the next movie comes out, it's going to be set in 2017, 2018. It's going to be that many years apart. So I think that that's very clever. They didn't, what I, the other thing I appreciated is, is because, um, the 80s are back. They've been back for a few years now. But, Stranger. But, but, well, yes, but Stranger Things. The thing about Stranger Things to me is that was a forced nostalgia. Right. Like, they couldn't help themselves, but it was forced nostalgia. It's almost like uh, that Ernest Klein's second book, Armada. He's the guy that wrote Ready Player One, mm-hmm. where in Ready Player One it seemed very fluid and there and fun, where in Armada it seemed a little bit forced. They didn't force the nostalgia in this movie, there were things in the background, like mm-hmm. posters. The new kids on the block joke, I thought, <laughs> yeah. was very funny. That was, that was great. And, but it didn't beat you. They didn't beat you over, over the, the head. head you yeah. can tell it was the 80s by just looking at a movie marquee. You know, Lethal Weapon 2 is playing or something to that effect. So it was fun to, to pick out things like that without them beating you over. Like, not every kid was wearing the 80s movie shirts and whatever. So... It gives it almost a timeless appeal. Mm-hmm. And there was an innocence, too, for the kids in the 80s. And they had their, uh, almost like, you know, it, there is there was, kids still rode bikes 
a lot in the 80s. Kids still went out and played with one another in the 80s. They weren't trapped to video games and Xbox One playing online. Hasn't been invented yet. My generation. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I there were no cell new, phones. I think that would be like a, a drone. Like, hey, we should go check it out. All right. Go fly your drone. Uh, <laughs> into <laughs> well, the sewer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there were no cell phones. So... I, you know, so I appreciate that it was in the 80s and that it wasn't forced down our throat. And I think it's a, I think it's a good decision because by the time Chapter 2 comes out and we're seeing the adult side of things, it'll be modern day. Mm-hmm. So we'll see them coping with the technologies that we have today and how they're going to change a lot about it and how it manifests itself in modern day as opposed to 27 years, 30 years ago. I bet you it's going to be sending a text to all of them. Probably. Like, I'm back. Yeah. I, you know. <laughs> Waiting for you at dairy. Right. <laughs> um, Kissy emoji. <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk about, like, uh, also one of the things that, I, you know, uh, not that I appreciate, cause I, I, but, like, I, I thought they did well was the, the idea of bullying. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a, because nowadays, I'm, you know, if I, tw- 20 seconds of a soapbox, I, I, what I feel disrespected today, everyone's like, oh, I'm being bullied. But, like, in essence, you're disrespecting what bullying actually is um, mm-hmm. by crying wolf. Because the fact that, like, you know, Henry was carving his name into his stomach, that, that constitutes his bullying in my book. Sure. Yeah. You getting called, <laughs> like, a name, eh, you'll live. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, obviously uh, they, they nailed that right in the head. And he, Henry, just in terms of a character, was horrific. He's, he's psychopathic. And he's psychopathic in the miniseries. He's psychopathic in the book. Mm-hmm. They kept it. They did... They toned down the... like. He's also a racist. <laughs> I mean, extremely that's so right. because of his upbringing. They made a tweak, but that's fine. Like, But they didn't bring out... like. Even in the miniseries, which came out in 1991, yeah. like, they, they dropped the N-word yeah. like a lot from this Henry Bowers because... During well, the rock fight. So, well, in the rock fight and throughout, mm-hmm. they, they've tamped that down somewhat. But, yeah, he's a bully. And I agree with you. They don't... But never over the top. You know what I mean? Like, but it's he's not like a villain. He is, but, it, but, but, but it's all... You could see why you can track the progression of how he got here. <laughs> Right. Um, at no point is like, oh, this is just so over the top for the sake of over the top. Yeah, over right. the top. Do you mean as like it's still believable that he could get to this point as a yeah. child? Okay, I got you. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Um, and then I don't think the miniseries ever really showed. I think it, they mentioned it through like dialogue, but they never shed light on like his father and his home and living situation how they did in this one. Well, this one, his father was never a cop. Right. In, in this movie, they make his and dad a, a cop. A cop, right? Um, and they don't, I mean, again, maybe as adults, but they don't bring up the, like, his father was a, a huge racist as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I liked what they did. And you're right, Phil, in mentioning that sometimes in these teen movies, they don't, I don't want to say they gloss over bullying, but they make it very obvious because it is over the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to point to another horror movie that you know, people may disagree with me, but I think a. Um, the reboot that they attempted with Carrie that, that starred Chloe Grace Moritz was was really keyed in on bullying and they did a really good job. And Carrie as a book and as the Brian De Palma movie, you know, Carrie's woes come from bullying. I mean, bullying's been around 
for a long time. And this is why Carrie seeks revenge, you know, on people. But the Chloe Grace Moritz one did it current day, and it's a lot different. But this this Henry yeah, but, Bowers and his friends are, you know, as well. It's clever, back. right? I mean, yeah. you know, if I have to see another movie where like um, the lonely losers walking down the hallway and like someone knocks over their books and be like, loser. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. There's your stereotypical bully right. and our t- stereotypical loser. Um, so <laughs> it was it was done in such a unique and clever way. Um, obviously horrific, but nonetheless. Um, and don't forget, like this this Henry Bowers is a kid that pretty much like, hates them all. Mm-hmm. Like, and his his lackeys, you know, they're, they're too dumb to have an opinion of their own, so they just follow him. And, like, it's just sometimes they know he's on the verge of going too far, but they yeah. won't do anything because of whatever the peer pressure Henry Bowers might or hold over them. So, I mean, again, because they're idiots. Or they <laughs> so, might just be scared of him, too. Yeah, who yeah. wouldn't be? Yeah. You know, in various iterations, too, adults were afraid mm-hmm. of Henry Bowers because they just thought he was a psychopath. You know, I mean, he was in school. He was in the same grade for seven years um, or something. So, Dang. Is yeah. that in the book? Yeah, and I think it's also in the miniseries. There's that... a line of dialogue will, like, where the, his teacher goes, am I going to have you for, like, the seventh oh, year that's or something right. like that? Yeah. Something silly like that. Yeah. He did look um, older than the, But the kid the who played him was really good, too. Yeah. He yeah, was. I agree. Um, his name is Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Hamilton. Um, Pulled off that mullet. The Bowers gang. <laughs> Pull it off. Um, going back to our protagonist, though, um, who did you think stood out? Um, for me, I thought, obviously, Bill, they did an extremely wonderful job because they, they teeter that line of, is Bill the leader? Is he not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when he really, like, when he had that moment of talking about Georgie and going into the house, and uh, I forget who it was that said, uh, you know, he didn't stutter on that one. Damn right he didn't. Yeah. That was a great moment. Yeah. That was pretty... Um, the ones that stood out for me was definitely Bill, the character of Bill, character of Beverly, and the character of Richie. I think that was, like, for me, the holy trinity right there. Because you have the Bill, who's the leader. You have the girl who kind of is, like how Dimitri said, is the anchor. And then you have Richie, who's a comedic relief. And uh, I think they worked perfectly. The, and then also Ben is kind of like the, histori- the, the historian of the group who knows the background of Derry and knows how he's able to kind of fill him in and what's going on. Um, M- Mike, Stan, and Eddie. Eddie was more like, didn't feel as flat as Mike or Stan, um, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mike and Stan were kind of like the weakest characters of the whole Losers Club because... I mean, they stole Mike's main purpose in in the film, and I think in the in the book and in the original TV series, he was the one who came up with the with the whole um, the history of Derry and everything. But they gave that to Ben, which I have, I have no idea why. Yeah, I don't know what they're gonna do. I mean, I was a little bit bummed about. I don't know because I just don't know where they're gonna go. And again, yeah. they did a, a well enough job in this first one. I'm gonna give them you know the benefit of the doubt for the second one. You know, the kid who played Ben Hanscom, like that's a tough role to play mm-hmm. because that that role, number one, he's 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 overweight. So instantly a lot of movies will play that stereotype that just because the kid's fat, oh you're gonna feel bad for him. 
like when people pick on them, right? So you can't fall into that, right? And I thought that the Jer- uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor, who played Ben Hanscom, like even in the book, he was a smart kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he could write poetry. He could, well, he eventually went on to become one of the most successful architects. architects right. And, you know, there was a scene that they, there was a part that they cut out in the movie that I actually, I was a little bit taken aback. But he's one of the smartest in the bunch as far as putting things together and fixing things. But I did like the fact that they gave the kid backbone. Mm-hmm. It's hard to fight. He could stand up for himself if it wasn't five to one, you know? So you can tell that this was a character who's dealt with this all his life, and he sort of kind of has learned to try to keep his head down, but if push came to shove, he could shove. But he spent his time in the library to avoid any of that. But I liked him. Um, The kid who played Richie Tozier, who was the only face that I really, really recognized because Mm -hmm. he is in Stranger Stranger Things. things, But he did a really good job. He was very sarcastic. Um, he could be very blue, which I really appreciated that because that's the way kids talk. There's no way to shy away from that. And I'm glad they also made this movie rated R mm-hmm. and in part because the kids were able to swear. So that, again, that just leads to the character. It's character building in a sense. Like when you look at a movie, Stand By Me is a very heartfelt, heartwarming movie. But the kids are dropping F-bombs. Like, a lot in that movie, especially uh, Corey Feldman's character and stuff. So, you have kids talk the way kids would talk. And I wasn't offended. It led to some comedic stuff, you know. Um, They've tweaked the Stanley Uris character somewhat. I don't know the importance. It almost seemed like they were paring down these kids for the next movie already, so I don't know where Stanley's going to fit into this as well. well but he yeah. did an okay job. Well, I'm, I'm still, I am surprised how much they were able to differentiate. Like, if you yes. really think about, like, Stand By Me, what is it, four kids? Yeah. Um, this, all in all, seven, right? All so, in all, it becomes seven, yeah. Uh, so the fact that everyone still was able to maintain a voice mm-hmm. and be very distinct um, and, you know, overall not get lost too much in the shuffle sure. uh, is actually quite a testament. Yeah. It really is. And the kid that played Eddie was was was, was pretty right. on point. Pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, again, this movie clocked in in a little over two hours, right? You didn't so much get some of the strife that was going on at home. They, they, they sort of gave it to you in like a thumbnail sketch. Probably Beverly was the one was the most with that, with her father, but Eddie had that overbearing mom that, you know, is a really dark cloud to his life and to his friend's life. Um, So when you go to the, uh, when when he goes uh, to the drugstore Mm -hmm. and it's the girl, not the pharmacist, who says, you know, that Mm -hmm. stuff's a placebo or whatever, when he yelled, I'm through taking a gazebo. Oh, like, yeah. like, that, that, <laughs> like that's a kid's response because they're so young. But um, you're sort of kind of going, oh, what's going on? That the mother is feeding him into these hypochondriatic uh, mm-hmm. tendencies. Of, he's always sick and he doesn't have to take this, uh, t- take his inhaler. 
and stuff. But that inhaler also becomes a weapon. I do want to get your thoughts on Beverly um, because speaking of the home life, oh. um, she was the only one that we sort of really dive truly deep into. It truly. And, uh, you know, the, the father, I, I, to be honest, I didn't know how to take that. I mean, I, I want to, it seems like a very, well, there's no real way to like sugarcoat it, but like, was he raping her? Like, what the hell was going on? You know, like, you're yeah. still my little girl? Like, what kind of line little is girl. that? I'll always I care mean, for you. I'm trying to think there's a line that he says to her over and over again. I think that worked really well, too, because that's kind of like how, I think, who was it, Nate Miller, who, who mentioned this, like, well, hiding the shark kind of thing with Jaws, where it's like, it works better if you don't really know what is actually going on, but you can speculate, and that speculation leads you to go down this really dark path in your head of what's going on between that relationship. And that's probably more horrifying than the actual fact, you know? Yeah, I mean, I took it to a lot that she was being abused. Yeah. Um, it was Sorry. a lot more uh, in the book. Um, and there were times where the father could have been... There were times where the father could have been warm and, like, nice. But it was his bipolar... It was his bipolar personality where one time he would be nice and then the other time he'd be a raving lunatic. They also took out, um, which was an interesting choice, they also took out the mother. In the book, um, there was there was a mother in the thing who wouldn't really protect her. She would be, well, in the book it was more child abuse. Like, you know how he is, don't do that, you know, because you know what's going to happen. And there was always, like, the belt kind of thing so mm -hmm. um but i liked beverly because we do see her home life um and she was just she was she was a good actress i think it just there was that great scene where where they're at the quarry mm -hmm. right and 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 it's like the camera is just like panning around, like the guy like the kids faces oh, are like yeah what's when going she's like on laying down. Yeah. <laughs> and then when the camera goes there I like shut my eyes. I was like, wait a minute, I should not be watching. This is now <laughs> when she got up and walked away and I'm like, No, no, why <laughs> but right there you understood why every boy in the neighborhood would crush on her. Mm -hmm. You know, she she's this attractive girl and she she had her own issues. But when she was with the losers, um she really got to stand out because they believed in her. And once they gave her that belief, that's where she got her strength and courage. And, and the girl was great at playing her. Um, tough child life. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, very, for me, very tough to watch. Was it, it, like, yeah, right? Like, like, it's uncomfortable. Just, yeah. I mean, here's the, granted, they also shot it in, like, this might have been a horror movie of itself, just her house. Because everything's so dark all the time and miserable. It's like, just, just open up uh, some shades. I mean, please, like, be creepy and say your lines, but please open up the shades or something. Because yeah. it was it was that red, you know, like, the fact that they had that bathroom scene and, and there's the blood all over, it just, it already, like, you know. You didn't need the blood. It was already, it was yeah. there to begin with. Definitely so. something up with that house. Um, yeah. All right, let's, uh, why don't we transition to talk about it itself well, well can we, i want to talk about the casting a little bit about okay. these kids because they did something you know i mean it made the process i, I would say probably a little bit longer because they they viewed a, a bunch of kids hundreds and hundreds of kids to play these roles but it wasn't just like 
if a kid got a callback, they they then went through like let's just call it round two, in which they would choose a kid, then they would put the kids together in a group and see what kind of chemistry they have. And if the kid didn't have the chemistry, okay, we gotta find somebody else. And so they really took great strides in ensuring that these child actors had a chemistry together. Um, I think it shows in this movie. Um, apparently they became good friends. They hung out a lot. They had sleepovers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that, uh, I think because of that extra process, the extra step that they took in making sure, again, to your point, we're talking seven kids that had to, one way, shape, or form, get along together in real life. Because um, I think with kids, when it happens in real life, it really comes across in the movies as mm-hmm. being believable, too. Absolutely. So. I agree. Um, all right. So Bill Skarsgård, um, of the noted Skarsgård family. <laughs> right. Uh, I thought... Uh, just very, yeah, um, just very creepy overall. I, I forget where I heard it or how it was fully said, but like, they didn't need to do too much effect. Like, if if you saw him walking, you were creeped out mm-hmm. on set. Um, I mean, what did you guys think? Like, I thought uh, the introduction of him with Georgie worked so well. Uh, it it gave you exactly who this guy is, mm-hmm. um, and from then on, yeah, uh, you're creeped out. Yeah, and it was the cadence uh, in which he he talked, and 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 the gait in his walk, um, you know, to compare Tim Curry's uh, appearance, like when he comes on, like that, which is creepy too. Mm-hmm. But Skarsgård's Pennywise, it was his voice, and it was like, oh, smell the popcorn, pop, 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 pop. Like he was a little bit schizophrenic, yeah. <laughs> right? Like you would consider a clown to be, and he had that high tone pitched voice until he didn't. Yeah, come and get it, Georgie. Like, and he was just so good at that that they didn't necessarily need special effects. The clown is creepy enough, and although I, I learned that they used some modulation in his voice throughout the movie, either in higher notes or lower notes, which is fine, but. That was already within him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and another thing of note is they hid him from uh, they hid him from the actors until because each character has their own episode with Pennywise. Mm-hmm. So they would hide that actor or actress, whoever it was, from Pennywise as long as they could until they had their very first scene with Pennywise. So their first appearance, his first appearance to them, they, they were genuinely like, holy, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, all in all, a good strategy, right? You're not going to be like, hey, yeah. hey, Anthony, um, what are you scared of most about clowns? Like, let's get you guys interacting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a little extreme. Talk about method. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the other thing that I found out that was really cool is um, they were... They wanted to make the the clown look even more maniacal, and they were gonna in certain scenes have him like go wall eyed, where you know, or roll his eyes up. And they were thinking of doing it via special effects. And Scar's guy's like, he's like, well, I could just do that, you know. He goes, I can do that, and he did it. And they were like, they freaked out, and they go, 
you know, the one thing he couldn't do is turn his blue eyes yellow. But but the wall-eyed stunt, they said, was all uh, him. And, um, you know, you had a few special effects here and there and the teeth and stuff. But it was very seamless, right. I felt, you know. Save them some money, huh, with that Absolutely. effect. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, pretty great. In, in terms of uh, producer Dan Lin, he speaks of him... Uh, his build is really interesting. He's really tall and lanky and feels a little clown-like in his movement. When he came in, we had a lot of different actors read, and when he came in, we had a different spin on the character that got us really excited. Um, and somewhat they uh, um, made a comparison to Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm. Um, I can see that. Part of that, because like, when, when you come on, you're kind of freaked out by him. He's coo- he, has a, he has a weird like kookiness to him that, uh, that the... Uh, the, the original 90s version didn't, you know? Yeah. And this one doesn't feel, like, as sinister as him. Because I, I definitely compare the 90s uh, Pennywise to Freddy Krueger um, a lot. But this one just felt felt like it's just a... a com- you can feel it's not even human. It's like a completely different entity. Even if you didn't know it wasn't human before, like, you, can, you, you knew it was not... It was not of this world in the yeah. sense that it carries himself and the way that it talks and just... The feeling that it gives off, yeah, and 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 also too, his makeup is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, he comes across as very sinister when he needs to be sinister, yeah, and very scary. Whether he's popping out of a slide movie screen thing or talking to kids or balloons, um, again, the little scene. I really, I, I did like this how this scene played out um, with Georgie. Because in a sense, too, that was... They they tweaked it. They made it different. So readers of the book or lovers of the miniseries, you're going to see a little bit of a variation with, like, you're going to see Georgie trying to... trying to escape, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they get dragged back in. My only thing... My only thing is, is, like... 20s... You know, I, it, it's... They didn't find him, like... In the book and in the movie, I mean, they they found the body. I mean, he's dead, mm-hmm. but yet it was it was an odd choice to have it that that Bill Big Bill um, went on the supposition that he's just missing. You know, I mean, he learns later on, but I'm like, uh, I mean, know, I, I, I understood it. Uh, you know, it's one <clears throat> of those things you don't want to accept it until you fully right. see it um, because mm-hmm. of the um, the implications, right? Um, but. Uh, speaking of like what the sort of various iterations um, in, in terms of the fears, um, Andy talks about uh, the, st- the story is the same, but there are changes in the things that the kids were scared of. In the book, they're children in the fifties, so the incarnations of the monster are mainly from movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, werewolves, mummies, I was Frankenstein. A yeah, um, and they had a different different approach. They wanted to bring out deeper fears um, based on not only movie monsters but childhood traumas. So that was where they really went for the gut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't find it to be a ton of shape shifting in this in this movie, which again, I understand. If you're streamlining, it's it's easier for audiences to relate to like one monster, other than having to try to figure out multiple monsters for each kid. So I mean, Pennywise to me was he was more Pennywise in this movie than he was in other. In, in the original um, and in this but when you have somebody like Skarsgård doing it that's all you need I mean it, ultimately it's a monster movie and he was a really good monster regardless of whatever 
iterations he may have become for the kids. It just wasn't as much as before. And again, as a moviegoer, I'm fine with that. It was, you know. You saying there wasn't as much shape shifting? Or I didn't think there was as much I, in the book. I mean, oh, the, no, book the book had like a ton. Yeah, and, it had a lot. And this one, yeah, there was like the 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 mummy thing in the sewer, but. He was never. He never stayed that character. Pennywise always came, right? Came out of through it. at yeah. the end. Like the clown was always there, um, where that wasn't necessarily so before. But I'm fine with it. Like it was. It was. It was. It's a. You need to anchor on one monster. Right. You can understand the shape shifting, but they utilized Pennywise very well in this movie. In showcasing in the old pictures and the drawings that Pennywise was always in the background, mm-hmm. which is smart. You know his his costume, his clown suit. They they incorporated uh, medieval Renaissance and, and Elizabethan elements into mm-hmm. his costume clown suit. Um, they even added pleats, uh, which uh, Janie Bryant, the costume designer, she noted that the intricate pleating adds to the organic and reptilian qualities of Pennywise's costume. That's a, you know, I think this Halloween, I think we're going to see a lot of Pennywise's. I saw a, a lot of people <laughs> did dress up going to the theater. and um, They did? Now, really? Now, yeah, they did. And wh- one of the things uh, that's been interesting, um, there's a lot of articles about people leaving balloons on chairs or something like that and scaring people. Oh, man. That's so, funny. Well, red balloons in particular, not just balloons. 99 red balloons? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be a uh, It's an 80s scary. reference. I actually listened to that on the way home from the uh, theater. <laughs> <laughs> Blasting <for> that. <laughs> uh, bringing it back to the 80s. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you know, I mean, Skarsgård's, uh, he, he does such a fantastic job. Um, when he talked about it, it's important that we do something fresh and original for this one. It's purposefully not going towards the the weird greasy look. Um, he notes, right? Um, so I thought, you know, again, we, we keep praising him, but he really pulled it off. Yeah, I think so too. Um, absolutely, he's created a new monster, and and you know, quite honestly, I don't think Tim Curry's performance as Pennywise, you know, many many hold that, you know, high on a pedestal as well. But I think that. Tim Curry's performance and and Skarsgård's performance, I believe they stand in their own and they can coexist. Like yeah. there doesn't have to be a oh I'm Team Curry, oh I'm Team Skarsgård. Yeah. I think you know in today's world, I think Skarsgård did a really good job and doesn't really take away from Curry's, Curry's job either. I think he did a really good job and this is just a good interpretation uh, of it. And I think they gave him because they're working in a rated R movie he's allowed to be more sinister and menacing and scary too. You know, I have to remember that, you know, we're talking a TV movie, which you have to sort of rely on a few other things other than like gore and stuff, but they had it in that movie, believe it or not. But this is full R. Like I was amazed that there were, again, there were some parents who had their kids in there and I'm like, this is an R rated film. Like, and it was, it got very rated R, (laughs) you know? Um, let's, I want to talk about the ending um, because, you know, in the literal sense, you'll float too. Um, we have, uh, what would you say, the souls floating? That was great. Like the bodies. 
the bodies uh, of all his victims just floating yeah. around. It kind of looked like a like a carousel or something. Yeah. Like, uh, like those, uh, what are those rides where the swings go around? Merry-go-round. Sure. Merry-go-round. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like a yeah, floating swing, merry-go-round. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. They actually, yeah, they floated. I thought that was a fantastic <laughs> interpretation. Yeah. Cause of in, that layer. In the 90s, you know. it was like just spider webs, right? I guess yeah, they were, they were in like floating alien in a sense. kind of spider yeah. web. But this was definitely, this like, was... oh, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing that. Yeah. Well, this, this was um, this was the part where, you know, it, it starts to really feel incomplete because obviously that raises a lot of questions. Sure. Sure, they're, they're there, um, but what can you sort of do about it? And then secondly, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate uh, what I, one of the aspects I really loved and that drive this movie home for me was the fact that we all have to stick together in order to defeat it. But I didn't really understand beyond that. Um, like I was like, okay, I don't necessarily need you to know a plan, but let's go for it. And when they were battling it, uh, I was unclear as to what was happening and what we were trying to accomplish and how do we actually kill it. Okay. And I understand. I, I get what you're saying because they And again, I just think it's... And the way in which they told they they have chosen to tell this story, you know, you did get that being together was important. Um, it's also about facing your fears and what you believe and not believe. And if you believe Pennywise exists, then then that's his that, that's that's his hold on you. And I, I mean, I sort of got the sense that they were working together because they still had the. My, this is battery acid. So Pennywise, you sort of kind of get that. We don't have the second half of that story, which as adults, and it gets really fully explained as to the power that they have, and it's the belief. And this is why uh, uh, Bev's father doesn't see the blood mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Like that's a big thing when adults don't see something that these kids clearly see. They didn't really explore that a ton in this movie. And I'm yeah. Is it okay to expand on that right now? Like, on what? On why that is? No, wait two years till the next one. Really? Well, I was like, I mean, what? <laughs> you can read the book. I mean, I, I don't want to... Again, I, for people who haven't read the book, I don't want to spoil what would be in the second half, but they did make it a point that the kids together, um, they, they created this whole... They created a whole... And they created something that could stand together and fight Pennywise because they could take away his power over them. And, in fact, they turned it around where Pennywise actually feared the kids. And it was something... That fear for Pennywise is something that he had never experienced before in his centuries of living. Mm -hmm. And the adults, because they're adults... Adults don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. Adults don't want... They choose not to see what can be right in front of them because they don't believe. They don't believe that clowns can be evil. They, they don't see what is plain in front of their face. It's actually one of my theses is about Halloween. It's choosing not to see evil. And that's what the adults... What, that's why the adults in Derry are the way that they are. Will that be explained in a second? I don't know what tweaks... I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what tweaks they're going to do. Uh, I can only go from the miniseries in the book. It'll be fun to find out. Right. So. That's that, Anthony. I mean, I want to reveal to what exactly is going on in Derry, but I don't know if it's right to do so. All right, how about this? Yeah. I'll give you a 30-second spoiler warning. 
All right, 30 Turn seconds. Tune out for 30 seconds if you don't want it spoiled. All right, so check. Yeah. All right, 30 seconds. Yeah, spoiler warning. So pretty much it has cast a shroud over Derry, and that's why the, 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 the adults aren't able to see or help the, the children. And also, um, the it, Pennywise, is based off fear. He lives off fear. Um, your fear is like marinating his steak for a fear. Um, and it's also the, the story itself has to do with um, con- like fear and also adolescence and go- like that precipice of being a child and being an adult. And, and being an adult is a scary thing. But when you have friends to go, with, to go through adulthood and grow together, it becomes less scary. And that's why, in a sense, it kind of represents the adulthood that the, the children are facing. And if they face it together, then they'll be okay. Like, and that's why it loses its power because of the fact that they, they know that they're in a group together. They have their friends to back them up, that they can tackle on adulthood together and they will be less scary. And thus, adulthood, the scariness that the fear of growing up, its, it's power diminishes just like its power diminishes at the end. Well, there you go. All right. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we shift gears and talk about the actual set? Um, Beautiful. Which one? The house. Well, the uh, fun house. <laughs> well, I was actually, you know, uh, they they transport Port Hope into Derry, um, and that in whole, Canada, in Canada, yep. yes. Um, and whether it was the library, the tourism center, um, the post office, all these things were were sort of redone, touched up to become the town of Derry. Which, yeah, which is great when you physically can be somewhere. Um, anyway. Uh, you know, then then it's a lot more believable. Yeah, and 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 Derry was a stand-in for Bangor, Maine, where um, Stephen King still resides. Um, so it uh, what they do, what I was hoping they they would have done a better job in um, is I wanted a better geography of like where things were in. Like reading a, the book or even seeing the like the, the, the minis or like you knew like where Nybolt Street was in relationship to this street, what was in the background, why that's important in the background. Like you had an idea where the barons were, where the kissing bridge wa- is, um, and the importance that these barons like there was never a quarry in, in either iteration, so that's new and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. But I wanted more of a geography as to where Beverly lived as opposed to where Bill lived or mm. Stan or Ben because there was a a caste system, so to speak. You know, the, the more wealthier people lived in this part of town where Beverly and her dad, who's a janitor, lived in this, this part of town. Oh, and there yeah. was, like, there was right. definitely how the streets connected and how the sewers connected is an extremely important part of the story and again i don't know if we'll get more of this in the second chapter but i would have liked a better uh, more of a geography because it plays such an important part to the storytelling and to where it comes from uh and how it commands the geography of Derry. you know I, th- I thought overall they did a good enough job like i i i understood it and you know um it's interesting you say that because I don't know. Uh, for for a movie of this caliber, like we had the map multiple times, you know, and they did pinpoint where the house was. Mm-hmm. Um, so beyond that, for me, 
unless it was done very, very cleverly, I would have been like, okay, I, I don't need an exposition lesson here on where you're, you know, where you get your ice cream versus where the post office is. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I just because to me the town is such a character mm-hmm. because Derry is a character and what happens in Derry it's as much a character and that's why I just wanted a little bit more I wanted to feel like I was more of a part of that town um, and I didn't really like get that sense but you know it yeah, still looked true. good the way that it was lit was really good it looked sort of kind of like an 80s mm-hmm. movie again without beating you over the head the house on Nightbolt Street was awesome. Like, they did a great interpretation of that. Um, they used two houses, in fact, which was, was really nice. cool. Um, so that was really scary. Um, so it was two structures. They had an exterior that was built from scratch and an interior that was filmed in an existing house that they found, inappropriately enough, that house was on a street called Bleak Street. Mm-mm. So, with the permission of the home's owner, they gutted the house. They stripped it to its original state. They um, bring out some nice Victorian details. The house was pretty cool. Like, that was a good haunted house. Yeah. It so was. It was you call it the fun really house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely, yeah, it worked. It worked fantastic. I thought for sure, like, that was more of a set than, uh, you know, a building initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just because of, you know, the control that you would had to have. Well, well mm-hmm. catch this. The build, the exterior of a they aged new timber by. They burned it and pressure washed it to get it to where it looked very gray, silver gray and run down. Um, so that's pretty cool, I, I, I thought, reading from the production notes. You know, then they also, uh, they took up three sound stages in Pinewood Studios in Toronto uh, to build the cistern and that serves as Pennywise's uh, subterranean lair. Mm. And that's pretty cool, too. So they built this sewer system for the kids to walk wow. to. And, um, you know, I, I, the set... Oh, where, where, um, where Georgie meets his demise is actually two sets. They actually um, had the, the ex- sort of... As he's chasing the boat and the boat goes down the drain, but the Pennywise, where he meets Pennywise, was filmed on a studio where they had Pennywise come up on a platform mm-hmm. and they, they, it was just the way in which they could also, where they can put the cameras for the best effect. But I, it, again, I seamless. Am. I would have just thought, I figured it was on a set because you can control the, the weather and everything around it. But I knew it was on a set, like right. whenever the camera kind of went down, it yes. just reminded me of the Matrix fight at the end of the Revolutions, <laughs> and I was just like, okay, they're completely controlling this. I you actually know. had a problem with that opening scene. Once, How come? Because once Pennywise comes up inside the sewer, you can tell it's, it looks CG. It looks, it does not look real to me. It didn't look real to me. Like, it didn't look, it was actually, uh, like, if it was a set, like, if Pennywise was actually there in the sewers, it looked very, uh... Interesting. Cookie-cutter, blah. I thought, blah. yeah, I thought, the problem with the movie for me is that, um... It looked too crisp. Like I think that's what you're talking. Like it just. Is that what it was? I don't know. I, I know what you're saying. There's but, something definitely off to like the darkness and within the the sewer when yeah. he first comes up. You could see there's something up with the darkness. It wasn't natural. Like it looked like it was CG darkness. Well, it could have been done in post. That's you know yeah, because they really wanted. I mean, his face and eyes really pop out. I mean, I didn't think that he was CG at all. But no. I understand what you're saying. It looked. Uh, Digital, like uncanny, yeah. in a yeah. sense, it looked clean. 
Yeah. Uh, in certain scenes, right? And even even the dark scenes, like to be honest, they they look dark, but not too like they just dark for the sake of being dark, rather than like I don't know, moody. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's any flaw that I have with the movie, it's it's the cinematography, unfortunately. Yeah. Sorry, I just have to say. I uh, know. No, I mean it's. <laughs> oh no! Well, well, no I, I, I loved hate, it. No, you know, like I, I, I yeah. know how much work it goes into it. Oh, yeah. So like, I, th- I think it's too easy for people to just criticize movies left and right. Um, so I'm not gonna, you know, I, I'm not just like the Monday morning quarterback it and right. say like, oh, you messed yeah, up. Yeah, I know, but but Phil, to your point, I mean, we always do talk about cinematography and keeping it within the horror genre. Cinematography is important. We mm-hmm. talked about cinematography in Annabelle Creation, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about how it looked like a period piece and it was purposely done and how lighting came through stained glass. I talked about cinematography heavily in the movie uh, Ouija, The Origin of Evil, because the director from Massachusetts, uh, Salem Mass, I believe, he, um, he made the movie look like a 70s kind of movie. Even though he shot it digitally, in post, they put real change dots on the thing and put cool. scratches in it looked like a movie <laughs> from that time period um so in a horror movie look at james wan and and when you look at the movies like insidious and the conjuring there's great care taken in the cinematography um too when you look at what dean cundy has done whenever he's worked with john carpenter right cinematography builds suspense it's it's shadows, it's lighting, it's what you allow the audience to see and don't see. That's how it builds suspense. Perhaps that could have been one of the reasons why. You know, I don't find that it is the scariest movie that I've seen. But when it delivered the scares, it delivered them good. But it was building up to the scare that you know I no think for it, it sort of kind of faltered. Uh-huh. That's why it's not the scariest movie, but. I did like the characters a lot, so yeah. I would say the biggest difference, right? Like we keep saying it, um, they handled the the main characters well. And from a cinematography standpoint, you know, we talked about that shot of Beverly where all the guys are checking her out. Right. They got that a hundred percent right. Yeah, absolutely. On the mm-hmm. nose, yeah. Horror wise, yeah, like yeah. to be when, when it came to like showing uh, Pennywise, I feel like it should have been the camera should have gone a bit more wilder in the sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it was just he, he, Machete was a plain director. Yeah, it feels straightforward. We're, you know? we're fortunate. Look, I think we're fortunate. As, as a horror fan, I think we're fortunate because it has been spawning some really good directors. And they've been doing it with a kind of flair that is reminiscent of, like, Brian De Palma and of some of the great, like, Wes Craven and John Carpenter. Machete, his mama movie, Albeit it was okay, not fantastic. This I like this movie better. He definitely knows, in a sense, how to sort of orchestrate it from a look standpoint. Cinematography, it's important in every movie, but it's specifically, especially important in a horror movie. And if it's not done right, you could lose some of the scares. No. So you better hope on something else like your characters, no. which he did do, which they, they did do. They did. To their credit. Um, well, tying in Annabelle too, uh, the music for this movie was done by Benjamin Walsh. Right. And uh, he also did Annabelle too, among other other things. Uh, Golden Globe and Emmy nominated uh, has done over over sixty feature films at this point, um, including Twelve Years a Slave, 
Um, you know, he's done additional mu- music for Atonement. Um, you know, he's done Hidden Figures. Just uh, we were talking about that last year. Um, so plenty of oh, and a cure for wellness, which we didn't cover. It wasn't really a good movie. Right, I haven't seen that. Um, I want to see that. But uh, so you know, I think uh, I wasn't really too familiar with him until I read about him more. Sure. Um, but I'm excited because I think we're going to see more and more of him. Yeah, I actually think his score here was a little bit better than than an Annabelle creation. Not that I hated it. Don't get me wrong. I. Believe it or not, I, I actually believe and feel that Annabelle Creation was a scarier movie. I was I jumped and I was on the edge of my seat more than I was in this movie, but I felt his score captured it captured Pennywise. It captured the kids the way you would want perfectly. And it melded them together. And I think that his score did help, you know, bring out some of the scares, but you got you got that feeling when the kids were together. You got that they were stronger together through score. And Pennywise and melding the two, I thought it was a, overall a solid horror score. Did a good job. Yeah, I felt I felt so. Can't yeah. wait to see more of him. Um, so let's, let's uh, dive into promotion because uh, I knew about this movie coming out. <laughs> Months and months, if not a year ago. Mm-hmm. Remember when um, they released that one like sh- photo of uh, Pennywise creeping out of the sure creeping out of the uh, the sewer little yeah. uh, the sewer hole, and everyone kind of gave it flack for like it looking a little too Photoshop. But yeah, I remember it since then. That was like a couple months back. Well, a couple even, of months back. It's been a, they've been promoting this for a while. Yeah. yeah, they even had an Instagram campaign of like just missing kids and. Oh, you think which, that uh, that whole uh, the appearance of creepy clowns all around the uh, I forgot what state it was that could have been like it a was happening. No, it could was have been happening. a marketing ploy. It was happening um, <laughs> during a lot of the filming. Uh, that 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 would that they say was happy coincidence mm-hmm. for, for for them. Well, good for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and then one of the things I remember, like when they released, because not only they they released that um, opening scene a little bit, that interaction, yeah. right? Um, and I, I went into a movie. I was like, what, what am I watching mm-hmm. right now? Because it wasn't a trailer. It wasn't you know I, I no. wasn't aware that it was coming out in that way. Um, but everyone, I just remember applauding when they saw <laughs> yeah. that, you know. Um, so definitely a lot of promotion that went into this. Uh, so much so I, the trailer. Within the first 24 hours, reached 197 million views, a new record, more so than The Fate of the Furious, uh, Star Wars Force Awakens, Fifty Shades Darker, or Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's insane. Yeah, it is. And, and, and again, they, did, they, they took an unorthodox approach. They did perhaps, well, it's, it's the most iconic scene. Um, you know, it's, it's the scene at the very, you know, at the beginning of the book uh, in the, the miniseries. Um, you have to understand this book uh, was released in 1986. It took Stephen King four years to write. Um, it was, again, he was just on a tear. And this book just captured people, um, and especially those that opening scene. So when that miniseries came out and it was depicted in the miniseries, people were like, Oh my God! Everybody knows that scene. Whether they've read the book, you don't even have to see the miniseries. Everybody is familiar with this clown, this Pennywise clown, and he's, in a sense, he's almost a cultural icon. Maybe not quite as big as a Freddy Krueger, 
because those had a lot of movies to go on, mm-hmm. but people gravitate towards this. And when they did that first teaser trailer, people were excited because it was executed so, so well. And it, it for me, when I, I, I was one of those people applauding. I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. I can't wait. Well, it also works like, yes, I agree with you 100% that it's an iconic scene. From a marketing standpoint, it's also like, okay, that's our first three, four minutes of the movie. So we're not giving away anything. Right. Uh, you want to see the, you know, great. You've seen the first four minutes. Now come watch the rest of it. Right. As, as opposed to giving a middle. Come and you on. sort of kind of know what's going to happen to poor Georgie. Poor Georgie. Like, you know, I Hello, mean. Hello, Georgie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know this. So. It's just how are they going to execute this? And then there, um, then there are additional trailers. You see, I mean, I don't, you just see how they tweaked certain things. Mm-hmm. So instead of there being a photo book, it's the slide thing. Right. And then you go, you go, oh my god, that was <laughs> creepy. A picture just fell in the studio, well, and there's a cloud. The yeah, so. It's a picture book, but in the movie, you understand that it slides. And what is more like, it's one of those um, stop-motion flip books, but the slides and that... It also goes with the times of the 80s. Right. And it's very creepy. We said it earlier, and I know it didn't work as well for you because you saw it in the trailer. Being that they didn't give the money shot away, Mm -hmm. for me, I was like, oh, okay, they didn't give the whole thing away in the trailer. Okay, good, good for them. Yeah, marketing on this worked. And they even did variations of Pennywise and Georgie. Like, there's a thing where they're standing outside of the sewer and Pennywise is bending over to give them a balloon. So they took these variations, and I really, really loved what they did. Um, They also did a a virtual reality thing. I went to Scare L.A. It experienced it. And they had, uh, yeah, I think that's what it it was called, and it was done on a decrepit... Dairy school bus, wow. and it was all VR, great. and it took you down into the sewers and stuff. It was pretty cool, <laughs> and you go face to face with Pennywise. Yeah, they did a good job. Absolutely. Well, speaking of uh, a good job, it really raked it in uh, this weekend. Uh, we we talk a lot about this. If you're a longtime fan of how just estimations are completely wrong, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. at first projections were fifty to sixty in the U.S. Then. Um, then it rose. They estimated between 60 and 70 with a chance of going higher um, if word of mouth was strong. Well, all in all, it did go quite strong, um, making well over $100 million. Uh, in fact, $123 million. Yeah. Um, setting a record for September. And for horror movies. And, for, you know, for rated R horror movies. It's, uh, you know, with a production budget of $35 million, uh and, and let's not forget, it was also released in some foreign territories, which which attributed to 38.9% of its box office, mm-hmm. where it did 96. So currently, we're looking at a worldwide gross of $247 million, and that's one week of opening. By the end of this weekend that we're in now, um, you know, the movie was released on September 8th. Come Monday of this weekend, it there's very good potential. It'll be over two hundred million dollars. Yeah, because I don't think I don't think American Assassins or Mothers overtaking it. No, no, yeah, not, not not when you make one hundred and twenty-three million dollars, even at your worst 
drop for a horror movie, which could be 60% and higher, that brings it to about 45-50. I think the word of mouth on this movie... and be, here's what I think that... Uh, at a conversation... And tell me if you agree with this. A majority of the people who saw it this weekend probably were not the book readers. I'm not saying that the book readers didn't go, but they were probably going to hold off to see reviews and how well the movie did, Mm -hmm. right? So we'll get a lot of the book readers will probably go this weekend. Mm -hmm. So, and then when you look at the breakdown too, it really, I mean, you had a 31% turnout. Other quads are just as strong with females. Under 25, 24% males, 23% female, which is high for horror movies. And that's why I said it's a very, it's an accessible horror movie. You know, when you have killer clowns going up against kids, like teenage kids, good kids, it makes it more accessible. Um, Because there's at least that stand-by-me heartwarming quality to it. And we're all familiar with killer clowns you know clowns are scary and you know this is pennywise so it's a safe i even recommended it to our our person who's usually with us marissa who's not a horror fan (laughs) but i told her i said you know for the most part this is a safe horror movie like it's scary but not over the top and it's a good audience movie well one of the you know um i hate to kind of get a little bit dark um sort of towards the end, but, sure. um, you know, from what from what I've read, Florida c- can typically account for 5% of the country's box office grosses. And, you know, um, you know, no surprise kind of what happened with the hurricane and so right. forth. So I can only oddly imagine how well it would have, could have done even better had that point. not happened. There's one other thing that you're not mentioning that always, believe it or not, historically anyways always has an effect on box office because what else was last weekend? Aside from the hurricane, what else? Something big came back to TV on Sundays. Football. Football, really. People have barbecues. People are watching football. A lot. And that especially opening especially the opening the open you know that the first Sunday of the season, Mm -hmm. like a lot of people are focused on that. And historically it does they usually will release like some romantic comedy or something because the wives or something will go out a horror oh, movie. Wow. Yeah, you yeah. know, but it really it had no effect when a movie does a hundred and twenty three million dollars on four thousand locations. You know, even 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 the hurricane. You're right. If it could have done five eight percent more, but they'll make it up this weekend. You know, you know, uh, and, and, and all good wishes to Florida and to even Houston and getting back on track. But uh, if you go into the movies, because there's already been so much word on it, probably going to go see it mm-hmm. unless they've lived their own horror and they might want to go see something else. But, you know, it, it, it overcame some good odds. And number one, it being a horror movie, really? even if it did 60, they would have touted that as a win. Yeah, That's a absolutely. good number. <laughs> so, um, well, uh, it has an eighty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The I- ironic thing that I found was the cinema score is only a B plus, mm-hmm. um, which is quite strange. Uh, Why do you me. say? Uh, I would expect the name minus just based on oh. just people flocking to it. Like as in how much money it actually but made. Yeah, based okay. on our reaction, I mean, to me, a B plus is 
I think Ron, it's fine. Yeah, yeah I think B plus is like just going by our reaction, mm-hmm. and I think we are the perfect barometer and gauge for movies. <laughs> Anywhere, <We are. laughs> yeah, anatomy of a movie just come to us. We'll set Absolutely. you straight. <laughs> I give it a solid seven point five out of ten. Yeah, okay, solid seven. Fair enough. A B plus, or would you, yeah. you would go B B, B plus, plus. Go B minus. or would you yeah. go B minus? I think more. I'm more on B minus for sure. I would go B plus given given how well they captured the kids. Okay, it really was a I kid movie rather a coming of age story rather than a horror movie mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I, really uh, hope I, I don't disagree with that assessment, and I think that's why it's a safe horror movie. Yeah, like <laughs> that's why I really hope know. once a, once a adult version comes up, I, I hope they like really throttle the horror. And, well, like, I can tell door. you, well, one scene. Well, I know one scene that they've already. I know one scene. The last third of the book, let's just face it. I don't know what the hell Stephen King was on, but it's uh, a fever dream. And <laughs> and there's one part in that book that I even I was reading it today. I was like, how the hell did you get away with this in the 80s even? I mean, so that I know is completely excised and won't be brought up. No, but I actually, <laughs> so. I actually read a good, uh, like a, they wrote an article. Uh, a woman wrote an article defending that scene. And again, it goes back to how it's, it's the stories were revolved around. Uh, growing I, up, adolescence, and you know their innocence uh, and I get it. adulthood still, and everything. You know, it's rereading the book. I remembered everything except that for some reason. Right. I don't know why. Like I remember the spider and that, and, and it's obviously not going to be in. Uh, it's not in it because it happened when they were kids. Um, but it'll be interesting to uh, another scene. If you haven't read the book, I'm not going to spoil anything. But the Chinese restaurant. To do is happen at an awesome Chinese restaurant. That was great. The, so, the, uh, the, yeah, fortune, the fortune cookies. Yeah, hey, uh-huh. hey, hey, hey. I, I just was... said Chinese restaurant, <laughs> right, man. Go get your egg foo young and uh, go talk about it outside of this. Don't no, spoil it for right. people who haven't well, read the book. Before we spoil everything, <laughs> let's, uh, why, don't we, why don't we wrap things up? Um, thank you once again for joining us. We truly appreciate it. Um, for those of you commenting along with us, or, how, have the, how have the comments been? Or, yeah, they've been, they've been, there's a good chat going on. We got. Can I do some shout-outs real quick? Sure, sure. Shout-out to Xavier Walker, Jonas Tiger. Uh, and then oh, Jonas Tiger's always on. Marvel Deadpool, Stop Motion nice. DC, Star Jeez. Drew. Thank you for chatting with me. I'm actually the one that Anthony was right here. Yeah. Well, what, what are you guys talking about? The, the, um, the, the, the people that are on demand, like, okay, great, you're shouting them out. What the, what the hell are they saying? Well, they were yeah, talking about, they like, um, how they would, wouldn't mind seeing Scars out as a Joker and how, like, people sometimes forget Tim Curry. And I was like, no, I, I remember Tim Curry. And then they say they make it a point, and um, Jonas Tiger makes it a point that it comes back every 27 years and how they timed that perfectly well. Yeah, don't don't just knock them down. There's already I didn't knock them down. Oh, okay. I'm knocking you. Oh my! What? <laughs> All right. Um, and if you're if you're listening on demand or watching on demand, feel free to comment as well. Um, we we love reading comments. We'll respond and all that as best right. we can. Best we um, can. In the meantime, where can people follow you? You can find me everywhere. Well, yeah, actually, oh, Twitter, Instagram at Tony B Dead. T O N Y B D E D. And you can please support me on Twitter at dmovies1701. Just before our podcast, I released my full review um, of of it, and I try to try to put my reviews out there on Twitter before we go on. You'll have a sense as to where I'm going before this. Has did did it make me angry or didn't it make me angry? It did not make me angry. Also, if I could plug myself real quick with the uh, I do watch lungs along with a co-host of mine Oliver Drennan uh, you can find him at Ollie Dreamer and uh, we've been doing watch lungs for the month of September we started with it actually 
Um, and we did a watch along there. So you have the movie, you can just type, uh, set it up and uh, watch it together. This week we did uh, Rosemary's Baby in honor of uh, Mother that's coming out. Um, so check us out on the Popcorn Talk Network on our YouTube cha- on the YouTube channel for the watch-alongs. And speaking of Mother, that is what we will be exactly oh, reviewing yeah. next week and talking about. Um, in the meantime, to fill that void of this week, feel free to dig through the archives mm-hmm. um, through Anatomy. We've done so many various movies. In fact, we've done quite a... We have a whole library of horror movies in itself, so definitely check that out. Ooh, Absolutely. You can follow me. Um, well, check out philsvita.com. It's got all my various projects and all my social media. Thank you guys as always. Oh, wait. And if you're, going, if you're in the L.A. area and you're going to be at Son of Monster Palooza this weekend. I'm trying to make it there, actually. Seek me out. I will be there pretty much all weekend. Ooh. So I will be watch- I will be specifically uh, tomorrow. i got to catch the Thing panel. Yes. So um, I, will, uh, I will seek me out. And if you see me, you know, say hi. Or punch me in the face, but then I will run away. <laughs> So. All right, bye, guys. Guys. We'll see you next time. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.